Yuvamos, Perak Dalad, Mishnah Aleph. Up to now we've learned that the basic obligation of Yibam, or Chalitza, kicks in when a fellow dies and he has no living offspring. We haven't considered what happens if he dies, he leaves a widow who's pregnant, and then she gives birth after the fact. So the Lacha is that if he has a viable child, even if it's born after his death, so then she, the widow, is not subject to Yibam or Chalitza, not Zukuka to any of the brothers, she can go and marry whoever she wants. Our Mishnah and the next Mishnah are going to consider the question of what happens if the brother that's living goes through with Chalitza in this Mishnah or Yibum in the next Mishnah, and then it turns out she was pregnant. So the rabbis made a dinder button that a person is not to do Yibum or Chalitza until three months after the death of the the husband, so that we can be certain about this, you know, pregnancy situation. Because I'll assume after three months it'll be evident whether a woman is pregnant or not. But our Mishnah is going to consider what happens if things are going according to plan. So to understand this Mishnah, you need to understand two um, outside ideas. The first is that the rabbis considered chalitza to be a tantamount or equal to rabbinically with garrison, with divorce proper. And that means, first of all, when it comes to a woman who's a divorcee, a grusha, as you've seen before, she may not marry a Kohen. So to rabbinically, a woman who's a chalutza, who had gone through the chalitza process, may not marry a Kohen, midurban. In addition, we've seen that when there is a zika that exists between a living brother and his brother's widow, so it's as if they are quasi-married, if you will. And that being the case, like with a regular marriage, um, when a person, when a man marries a woman, so that marriage creates additional arayos, additional forbidden incestuous relationships, um, which don't go away even when the marriage is dissolved. So that means, let's say there's a woman and her daughter. So uh, Reuven can marry either woman or her daughter, but once Reuven marries one, he may never marry the other, even after he divorced the first. So in other words, when Reuven marries Leah, so then Leah's mother becomes forbidden to him forever, even if Leah is subsequently um, divorced or she dies. So we see that marriage adds new arayos, and garish and divorce doesn't dissolve those new arayos. That would be true similarly for the quasi-marriage that happens with the Zika, and the rabbinic divorce, if you will, of chalitza. That if a person actually does chalitza with his um, sister-in-law, even so, after Chalitza, he may never marry her mother or her daughter, etc. Her sister as well, while well, she's alive and so on. Okay, and there's a reciprocal thing, which is that when a man and woman get married, she becomes forbidden to additional men, like his father or son or brother, and that persists also after he dies. So, again, and even if there's a Gerishin or a Chalitza, that doesn't change anything. So therefore, if the chalitza is good, it doesn't make a difference. She remains forbidden to his other close relatives like father, son, and brother. So that's the one piece of background information the mission assumes you know. The other background information that it assumes you know is that when a... Sorry, taking a step back. Let's say let's say a, a person, a regular human situation, a man marries a woman, um, and let's say, you know, there's a, there's a, he has, they have one child, the child is born. A minute later, there's an earthquake in the house, and um, something first falls on the 
man, killing him immediately, and then a second later falls on the child, killing it immediately. So now this woman's left as a widow. She has no offspring. But at the time that the father, her husband, died, there was a living child, an offspring. So as I've said already, I think a few times, the basic way of thinking of the question of Yibam is we take a photograph of the family tree at the moment of his death, and we look. Is Yibam obligated or not? And if nothing changes after the first instant. So in the case I just told you, so when the father died in the earthquake, at that very instant, he had a living descendant. So therefore, there's no Yibam that's going to kick in for his widow, even if a moment later the child dies, even if the child had just been alive for, you know, one minute. doesn't matter. Now, when Chazal consider babies, um, they look at a baby as being um, a normal baby, considered a you know a viable person. And if it's alive, it's alive. Everyone dies eventually, so a baby could die eventually too. And the fact that baby dies a minute later after the father makes no difference necessarily. Just like people, you know, everyone a minute before they die, you know, they were perfectly alive. Now, Chazal, however, understand that there are certain. Um, births, which essentially are are miscarriages, meaning that the child um, that's born is not really a child. It's called a nefel, like a, a miscarried child that has no. It's not called a ben kayama. It's not something that is going to live. So sometimes people miscarry, and the child is still in utero and it comes out not alive. And sometimes the child is born stillborn or born alive but dies shortly thereafter. So for a child to be considered a ben kayama, a child that's going to live, so it has to meet one of two criteria. Either it has to um, be fully come to be born at full term, be fully developed. So there's a reason soon won't live, etc. Um, or it has to be that um, it lives for 30 days, even if it was born prematurely. So when a child is born and doesn't meet one of those two criteria, meaning it's born early, um, then we have to wait and see will it live out 30 days or not. And then if it does live out 30 days, then it's considered a Ben Kayama and it was a child all along meaning if it were alive at the time that the its father died, then the its mother will be exempt um, from Yub Mechalitza. And on the other hand, if it doesn't live out those 30 days because it's a Nafel, it wasn't going to live, it was born you know, in a way that made it you know, essentially a, effectively a stillborn, not just the short, as a you know, last bit of life left in it as before it died, not a viable child. So then that doesn't count as offspring, and therefore the widow, its mother, would uh, still be obligated to give Mechalitza. Okay, so that's all the backstory here on, on this mission. The next, really, and here you go inside. The mission says, Hacholetz Livimto. Reuven and Shimon are brothers. Reuven marries this woman, Rachel. Then Reuven dies um, without any children. And then his brother Shimon does Chalitza with Yivimto, his sister-in-law, Rachel, the widow. Venimtes Mu'uberis. And then it turns out, after Duchalitza, it turns out that Rachel is actually pregnant. Viyalada, and then she gives birth to a child. So now we have to consider, is Chalitza a Chalitza, with the ramifications I set out before, and I'll go over again, in the mission will say it explicitly, or is the Chalitza a big farce? In other words, if she was pregnant, and therefore it turns out she has a living child, so then she was exempt all along from doing Chalitza. So when they did this Chalitza, it was just like a, you know, play acting. He there's a shoe taken off, there's a ground spitting on the ground, but like, so what? It's not a chalitza. Therefore, it's not a chalutza, and those, and there was never a zika, and therefore those things won't kick in. And that's what the Mishnah says. Bizman shahavlad shel kayama. If this pregnant widow now gives birth to a viable child, and the child lives, um, again, even as long as it's ben kayama, it doesn't matter when it dies, but it, it's born in a viable way, living 30 days, or born full term and healthy, 
fully fully formed. So then, that will mean that the whole chalitza was a farce, halachli insignificant, and therefore there was never a zika, and therefore there was never any restrictions that were added to him or her regarding their respective relatives, um, and therefore who mutor bekrovo seha he Shimon who even though he performed chalitza with Rachel the widow. Shimon may still marry Rachel's sisters, or daughter or mother, etc. The he and she, Rachel, the widow now who's the single mother, Muteris Bakrovav, she's permitted to marry Shimon's relatives, not his brother, but his father or son, etc. Um forget the father. Uh, his son, for example, he could she could still marry. Um the reason I said forget the father is because of the issue of her late husband, the same father. In any case, so she can marry Shimon's son. Etc. Because the chalitza wasn't a chalitza, and the, there was never a zik in the first place. And she is not rendered invalid to marry a kohen. Meaning, if she were a real chalitza, then she'd be like a grusha, a divorcee, and a divorcee, midoraisa, may not marry a kohen. That's a pasuk. However, if the chalitza turns out to be a big farce, so then she's not a chalitza, and she could marry a kohen. On the other side of the coin, if the child is born, and then it turns out that it's not a viable child. Didn't go to full term, didn't wasn't born healthy, died within 30 days. So then, that would mean that the chalitza really was obligatory, and therefore it was binding, and therefore she is a chalitza, and therefore who aser bekrovo seha, he, Shimon, who performed the chalitza um, with her, will now be forbidden forevermore to marry her relatives like her sister, mother, daughter, etc. The he and she, since she once had a zika to him, and they were like quasi-married, even though they got a chalitza afterwards, she is a sura bekrovav, she is restricted from marrying his relatives like his son. Upsala minakahuna, and she becomes psula, she's invalid from the kahuna, meaning she cannot marry a kohen anymore, because she's a chalitza, a bona fide chalitza, which is asur to marry a kohen.